Well, good morning. It's a joy to be back with you. I can't begin to tell you how much I look forward to being here with you. Please take out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. And if you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one right in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, please, please take it home and make that one yours so that you are in the Word of God every day. Once again, we'll be uh, reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 12 through uh, 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our King. We thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus, to go through what we will be observing and celebrating this coming week, that the death and the resurrection on the cross, and then to be rose, rise up again, because you loved us enough to forgive our sins so that we may have eternity with you. And Lord, we just thank you for your son Jesus and the fact that he is our king, and we pray in his name, amen. Well, as you may know, today is Palm Sunday, the sixth Sunday in Lent and the beginning of Easter week. And throughout Lent, we've been studying Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John. You may recall some of these. I am the bread of life, from chapter 6. I am the light of the world, in chapter 8. I am the gate, or the door, in chapter 10. And I'm going to pause right there, because I brought that message, and you might recall that this is your opportunity to be the door for somebody who wants to, you know, there's a lot of people outside these doors that will only come to church Christmas and Easter. They're waiting for you and to make it easy for them, you to, for them to cross the threshold. So I'll give a little shameless plug that uh, because Jesus is the door, maybe we can be as well. And finally, I am the good shepherd, also in chapter 10. But I want to pause right there. Excuse me. 
The first, uh, last Sunday, Pastor Tom addressed two very important topics here at St. John's. The first subject was to make what I understand to be one of the most important decisions in all of St. John's 125-year history. And given my own predilections, I'm not insensitive to how important that decision was. That, of course, was to choose the type of coffee that will be served in the fellowship room <laughs> in the back. Um, I haven't heard, actually, I have heard. Okay, you truth, can tell them. Truth yeah. be told, well, I have to rewrite my sermon. Okay, truth <laughs> be told, <laughs> I have heard the outcome of the election, and I was afraid that considering the voting rules that Pastor Tom described, there might still be some ballots waiting to be counted. But no, the results are in, and I guess Highlander Grog won by a landslide, and, and, and uh, French Roast was in second, second place. Now, I wanted to mention this, because when I watched last week's video for, of the service, okay, I heard somebody call out French Roast here in the 930 service. Okay, now I'm not asking for anyone to incriminate themselves or show hands, but I did want you to know that for what it's worth, I'm on your team. <laughs> okay. So I was really glad to hear those results. The second subject is even more important than coffee, however. And that was the Jesus' I am statement that we studied last week. I am the resurrection and the life. Last Sunday, Pastor Tom described the story of Martha and Mary after their brother Lazarus had died. The two sisters were devastated, of course. And Martha, at least in part, blamed Jesus, claiming that Lazarus would not have died had Jesus come sooner. A faith discussion of sorts ensued, but in the end, Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. This is when everything that we understand about Jesus changed. Everything changed when Jesus made that statement and raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus was no longer a human being talking in parables and healing sick people. Jesus had now demonstrated that he is God. As Mary and Martha learned, knowing that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life is pivotal if we're to understand Jesus and trust him as our Lord and Savior. Pastor Tom, Tom did a super job of explaining this last week, so if the snow kept you home from church last Sunday, or even if you didn't miss, I'd encourage you to go back and watch last week's message again. It's that important. Well, as I mentioned, today's Palm Sunday, in the beginning of Easter week, Holy Week. This is the day that celebrates Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, surrounded by large crowds, waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the crowd acknowledged Jesus as King of Israel. Unlike the previous I Am statements, 
Jesus didn't speak this one. Do you remember when you had to write stories for English class in school? Mary, you're a writer, so I know you know this, okay? Writing good scenes and descriptions was hard for us, a lot of us, and if you had a teacher, you might have been given the same advice I was. Don't tell me, show me. In other words, Jesus didn't tell anyone that he was the king. He demonstrated it. He was already well known for healing the sick and other miracles and had hundreds of followers. But when Jesus had brought Lazarus back to life and called him out of the tomb, many, many more people believed in him and followed Jesus. They were convinced that he is the king as they watched Lazarus stumble out of the tomb, still wrapped up in grave clothes. So as Jesus entered Jerusalem riding on a donkey, the people shouted with joy and declared, Jesus is the king of Israel. Well, this is the scene depicted in our scripture for today. But to really understand what's going on, we need to go back to chapter 11, to where Pastor Tom left off last week. Many of Mary and Martha's friends had come to console them in the loss of their brother. That was totally understandable. And there were a lot of people present when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb. So we continue reading in chapter 11. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus had done, or what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Many people were absolutely astounded by what Jesus had done. And as you might imagine, they believed in him. For many, after witnessing the miracle of Lazarus, it was easy to believe in Jesus. Not everyone felt this way. Some people found what Jesus was doing to be mighty unsettling. So they called in the Pharisees. May I introduce you to the Pharisees? The Pharisees were Jewish, were the Jewish religious elite. They insid, insisted upon the punctilious observance of the law. I love that word, punctilious, and I don't get to use it very often, so I had to bring it today. But the, the Pharisees were so nitpicky in their enforcement of the law that it's just the right word to use, punctilious. Well, some Pharisees were godly, and there are passages of Scripture where we actually do see them doing the right thing. But most were hypocritical, envious, rigid, and formalistic. Moreover, while they did not have political power, they were still the respected religious leaders. This gave them significant power and wealth over the other Israelites. Their leadership was also acknowledged by the Roman government. Just so you'll understand who we're talking about, let's look back at how Jesus described them in his parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down upon everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees. They are the ones that are confident in their own righteousness and who look down on everyone else. Jesus is speaking directly to them. So let's continue. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. See how righteous I am? You get the picture. Self-righteous, arrogant, condescending, they're totally wrapped up in themselves. Now the reason I've spent so much time introducing you to the Pharisees is because Jesus threatened their authority over others and the respect they received from the Roman government. They hated Jesus. You should read the end of John chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12 so you understand everything that goes on between last week's message and this week's message. Here's some in excerpts. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. They are the Pharisees. And his life is Jesus' life they're talking about. But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. Now, if you enjoy crime or detective movies or mystery stories like I do, you'll recognize they just put out an APB, an all-points bulletin for Jesus, ordering anyone who sees him to report him so they could arrest him. Oh, but not just arrest him. The situation was so serious that the Pharisees also intended to kill Lazarus. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Yes, Jesus brought Lazarus out of the grave, and the Pharisees intended to send him right back in. Now here's the dilemma. You and I know the rest of the story. You, know, you and I know about the death and resurrection of Jesus. You and I know what happens on Easter. Many of us, hopefully most of us, hopefully all of us, believe in Jesus. All the scripture we've read today and everything I've told you about the Pharisees comes from the vantage point of already knowing, knowing what Jesus did and said. It comes from the vantage point of knowing Jesus as our king. Having the whole Bible, maybe growing up in church and knowing all we know about Jesus makes it really easy for us to believe. We're pretty sure that if we had seen Lazarus come out of the tomb, we'd believe too. But things would have been different had we been there that day. Almost everyone respected the Pharisees as the true religious leaders. Few people found them as self-righteous as Jesus did. The Pharisees and the other professional religious leaders, such as 
the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, all thought of themselves as the good guys. They thought that by killing Jesus, they would be protecting the crowd from itself. They would be keeping people from the consequences of their misplaced adulation. And for themselves, they were doing the right thing with it. Doing, they were doing the right thing that needed to be done, and that wouldn't hurt them either. A lot of the regular people of Israel thought the Pharisees were the good guys as well. After all, they were their rabbis and religious leaders. I'm confident that we, you and I, given our desire to choose the right thing to do and then to do it, burdened by the same goals as protecting the crowds, the people in ourselves, convinced that the respected religious leaders of the day were indeed the good guys, I'm confident that we would have been on the side of the Pharisees. And when we witnessed Lazarus coming out of the tomb, we probably would have called Pharisee 911 to report what Jesus had done. Well, maybe not. Many believed. Many followed Jesus. Many called him king. Perhaps we would have been blessed to be in that number. Because after all, Jesus didn't tell us he's king. He shows us. He shows us through the resurrection of Lazarus. But not just that. He shows us through healings and other miracles. But not just that. He shows us through the fulfillment of prophecy. People then and now can know that Jesus is the true legitimate Messiah. His triumphal entry into Egypt, or Easter Egypt, I don't know where I got that, Jerusalem, riding on a colt of a donkey, was foretold earlier in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. If we had been there, waving our palm branches, shouting Hosanna, we would call him our king. But we would still not understand. We would shout with joy and expectation as our new king was with us and would free us from the tyranny of the Roman Empire. Because we would not know the rest of the story. Today, you and I do know the rest of the story. We know Jesus as the bread of life, as the light of the world, as the door, by the way, um, as the good shepherd, as the resurrection and the life, and our king. As we begin Holy Week, this week leading up into the celebration of Easter, may you also know the reality of Christ's death and resurrection. He came and gave his life because he loves you.
He has forgiven you all your sins and enabled you to know the love of God. This week, we will reflect on Jesus' death in Good Friday and the funeral for Jesus. And this is personal to us. He went on the cross for your sins and for mine. But Sunday's coming. Jesus Christ conquered death and rose again so that your sins are forgiven and so are mine. And because of God's love for you and for me, Jesus Christ is our Lord and King. Amen. Join us as we watch the video. Let me tell you about Rachel. She's 21, just graduated college, summa cum laude. She's funny, a bit too studious, according to her boyfriend. And she tells everyone she knows that they need to be trained in CPR. Oh, and she'll take a trip to France one day. And she'll tell stories about it for the rest of her life. This party, it's meant to celebrate her first real job. It's a entry-level position, but it does provide a steady income. It also provides a retirement plan and even comes with dental. Seems that she's well on her way. What nobody here today could possibly know is that she will become department manager in just six months. She'll start running marathons. She will get married and become a mom. She'll walk her friend Teresa through a chronic illness. And after all that, become CEO of the company. You see, her family and friends are celebrating what is with no idea of what is to come. It's very similar for Israel on that first Palm Sunday. You see, they all line the streets, crowds fighting for the best view of the king, who would be even greater than King David himself. They prayed so long. For generations they prayed. And here he was. And so, that's why they grabbed their palm branches, right? And they celebrated him because in their minds, he was going to free them from Rome. And so they all shouted the same thing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, they celebrated what they knew about Jesus, that he was a good teacher, that he was a miracle healer, that he was a divine prophet. What they couldn't begin to imagine as he rode into town that day he would be the fulfillment of prophecy would bring healing for sin he would show the world what love truly is they had no idea that the one riding through town was the king of kings all over the world the past kings the present kings the kings to come king of all kings paul said it so well in Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, when he said to him who is able to do more than we could ever hope for or imagine, to him be the glory through all generations forever and ever. <laughs> and so, just like them, we cannot imagine what is to come. But as we join in the chorus of their voices, 
celebrating what Jesus has done, may we also celebrate the God, the Savior, the King of all kings, who can do more than we could ever imagine.